We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. Mike is uh, heading out to the road trip. And the Chicago Bulls, DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball, and the group took it to the Lakers last night in a game that was never particularly close in what I thought was a revealing loss uh, on a number of levels. And did the last pod of last week uh, was after a Minnesota loss, another blowout loss at home to a Timberwolves team where we talked about the legs and all those caveats still exist, right? We're still shorthanded. We got THT back this weekend, but we're, we're still shorthanded. We've still got old guys, but this game bothered me more than any other game has so far this season, particularly with respect to our offense. So even accounting for Guys like Melo's legs are are gone right now. Rondo's come and go. Dwight can have uh, issues with that as well. Even with all of that, I'm pretty frustrated about the game yesterday. Where do you stand? What, what, what's your overview on last night's game? I mean, I'm not really upset about last night's game. Forgetting the context of the legs and stuff, which I think matter. I think the construction of the team and five games and seven nights. And I said this online yesterday, but the Lakers haven't had more than one day off since basically the two days off they had between opening night and the second game of the year. And they've had a home heavy schedule and their schedule has been soft. And so if, if the schedule only, if the schedule existed within a vacuum and the team was healthy, like I wouldn't have brought that up at all. Like, mm-hmm. I think that would have been like a dumb excuse. Basically, it's the middle of November and it's 15 games in. Right. Um, that said, this team has been nowhere close to being healthy. The asks on players have been so much heavier. And I think it's almost impossible to separate the context of of where the team has been and like the load that they've been carrying for an extended period now. That was LeBron's, I think, what his sixth or seventh 
consecutive missed game. It was a blowout loss, and Carmelo Anthony still played almost 28 minutes. Like, 28 minutes is probably his cap on a night when the team is healthy. And Yeah, he, and ideally he should be playing, like, like 22 to, 20. to 24. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, the asks have been too heavy for this so, team. And, th- and that's uh, true. So, so just the last point here. The Lakers can play better within the context of what they're doing. Yes. And they have not. And I credit the Bulls. The Bulls junked up the game in a real way. Anthony Davis kicked the Spurs' ass, basically. And Billy Donovan said, yeah, guess what? Like, you ain't doing that to us. Like, we're double teaming you every possession. We're sending doubles from, like, crazy places, honestly, where some of them were standard and some of them were definitely not. And AD is still impacted by double teams in a way that you would hope he wouldn't be. And so I just feel like the Bulls had a better game plan than the Lakers did. And maybe this is what you're going to get to in a second, right? Mm -hmm. The Lakers can be playing better within what they do. I think there's a lot of stuff that is impacting that. That is the context of the Bulls game. I also think it's fair to say the Lakers should be doing different stuff. Yeah. So let's get to that point because I think that's where you're at. So again, all of the leg stuff, it it, it matters, but it only matters to a degree. And it only is really tangential to what, Irritate what 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 I'm irritated about. Sure, D. We're 23rd in offensive rating for the season. Put the Bulls' game plan, and they've got good defenders, and they're an interesting small ball team themselves, right? Put all that aside for the season, playing a home heavy schedule, mind you, with LeBron with injuries and all of that. We're 23rd in offensive rating, and I don't think that that matches our offensive talent. A couple of games ago, we made the switch to putting AD at the five, which is the natural shape of this team. But again, that's only chapter one of a longer story. We have to play with tempo and pace, whether it's in the half court, whether it's in transition, how fast we're playing, how much we're moving is going to be directly correlated to how well we're playing. Now, if certain guys' legs are fried, I think Avery Bradley is in this as well. Just guys like him, Mello, are playing more minutes than they should and have and cumulatively that impacts, that's that's problematic, right? If you need to be able to run, but you can't run because you don't have, half your guys don't have their legs at, at the moment, then you're in deep trouble. But you don't go five out to post up every play, right? Like you don't move 80 to the five. The, the purpose is to spread the floor and create driving lanes to be able to get downhill. That's not to say we should abandon post-ups altogether, but that shouldn't be the main thing that you do. That said, if you do that, we're on year three of posting AD up in the same configuration with one player in the dunker spot, one player in the corner, one player on the wing, one player up top to clear out a side of the floor. We do this for LeBron as well. And this is a fairly clear out a side of the floor configuration in the NBA. The thing that the legs and all of that and injuries don't really come close to explaining and touching is why are we so flummoxed all the time when AD gets doubled? This is a lot of time. Like, AD was 
pretty amazing in the first half of the San Antonio game. He had like 27 and seven, but he was pretty quiet in the second half, right? Part of that he's, you know, is part of that's going to be fatigue on, on his end as well. But another part of that is like teams are adjusting. We're getting our butts kicked in the third quarter, man. And a big part of that is because teams are doubling AD in the post and we look like we've never seen it before and we've been doing it for years. Now, part of that is you can crowd AD and he's got a high center of gravity and there are some individual things that he could be doing better. But we're not diving from the weak side. We're not doing very much Who's organized at all. What's so that? what you said, we've been doing this for three years. Who is the we? AD's uh, been posting up for three years. He hasn't sure. had the same teammates any right. single season. For three right. years. But but the actions, so so the we in this case is AD and the coaching staff. Sure. Right? It's it's what do we do when, because here's the thing, man. If you get a player that's been double teamed, offensively, you've kind of won the possession. It's just a matter of, of getting that guy open in the four on three that results outside of that. Sure. They were hard doubling him, right? And when, that's a read and react scenario. The double comes from here. And what, what's almost always going to need to happen is somebody's going to have to dive to the basket. Yeah. Because what that does is that takes the weak side defender with them. I agree. I agree. Right? I, I, I understand. So it's that type of it's that type of disorganization that sure. bothers me. And even, you a think- step, even a step before that, though, D, even a step before that is like the the frequency of the post-ups in the first place. We shouldn't be 23rd in offensive rating, man. That's not like, that's a vestige of the two big lineups, right? Of the, oh, we're just going to post up and clear out a side uh, sure. all the time. But even if we do, we're disorganized when we do. I could hit every single point that you made and I could explain why I think things are going wrong. The Lakers need to play better. <laughs> like, so they need to play smarter too. I see disorganization. I also see players not doing things that they've done on plenty of other possessions. Mm -hmm. So a part of me wonders how much of this is the coaches? How much of it is the players? How much of it is, and like, clearly... They're clearly the players are not doing everything they should be doing within the context of successful half court offense. Are the coaches not drilling that stuff? Are the players not taking it in? Is the stuff that they're trying not working? Right? Like, so there's probably a little bit of all of that gumbo. Sure. In there or a stuff in there, right, to make up the gumbo that that is the Lakers offensive struggles. I thought against the Bulls, if you did not throw the ball to Anthony Davis in the post, I'm not sure he would have gotten a touch. And I don't know if that is reflective of poor offensive philosophy or if that's a function of what the Bulls were doing defensively or if it was just the fact that if the Lakers are going to play five out. And you're going to try to set screens for Russell Westbrook and everyone is going underneath those screens, then the angles in which you're trying to create screening angles get trickier. Right. And so Russ has had his most success getting to the basket, either in straight up isolation plays where he is up against a guy and he is just able to beat that dude or when the screening angle And Cranjus has done a lot of good work on this, but the screening angles are more north and south, basically, to facilitate a driving angle rather than east and west. And 
if you are coming from when Russ is on the wing, creating the right screening angle is been is proving harder and harder for the Lakers. And what's interesting to me is I'm trying to decipher what is the best way to get Russ going in order to help facilitate what the Lakers want to do. And pointing at the Bulls game is interesting because Russ was good. Russ was really good in that game. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's get more into uh, the screening angle stuff with Russ. Lakers basketball is finally back. And there's no need to exhaust yourself by searching all over the internet to find Lakers tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site. And the only one you'll ever need is your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. I'm excited to see this Lakers squad get out in transition this year, and there's nothing like seeing a great fast-breaking team in person. Visit TickPick.com LFR today and use promo code LFR to save $10 on your first order of Lakers tickets. Are you looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office and dodge all that hectic holiday shopping traffic? Why not save time and money with Stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. It just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. Whether you're selling online or running an office or side hustle, Stamps.com can save you so much time, money, and stress during the holidays. Access all the post office and UPS shipping services you need without taking the trip and get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS. Save time and money this holiday season with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code FILMROOM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code FILMROOM. So Russ's go-to pick-and-roll set throughout his career has been a spread pick-and-roll. And that's both corners filled, the weak side wing is filled, and he's on the left side of the court with his big man coming up to set the screen real high. Now, of course... They're going to go under that screen, but we are setting our screens. It's not just the angle. It's where we're setting them. Like the idea to spread the floor or stretch the floor is to set them higher, right? And in these spread pick and rolls, sometimes it's all the way back to the hash mark, depending on how much ball pressure the team is applying. And the Bulls are a good ball pressure team with Alex and Lonzo, right, in, in particular leading that. And so... They're going to go under that, but what that creates is Russ has strength advantages over a lot of guards, and that's something that he exploited in last night's game as well, is if he can get a shoulder into a guy, create some space, he can bump guys off of his spot, and Alex has always had a bit of a difficulty guarding him as a result of that. We'd put coups on him because of that, right? And so what that does is even if you go under that screen, the big, the hedging big has to come up high enough to AD to where you've still created a one-on-one of Russ against a guard in space. And so like that spread pick and roll formation, the last play of the first quarter, that is, that's a spread pick and roll where we ended up getting a lob from Russ to AD. So let's say though that AD doesn't get a touch 
in pick and roll and spread type of formations, that's still creating opportunities for a lot of other players, right? It it's, is. If it he's is. getting downhill and rolling to the basket and pulling two with him, that's a skip pass. That's, it is. It is. It's, it, it is. it's exploitable it is. the same way that, yes. that a post-up is, but we're probably more suited to, to do that, especially with Russ as the trigger man as the passer instead of AD. So here's a problem. This is a problem. It is. Because Anthony Davis is better than Russell Westbrook. And if you want to turn Anthony Davis into Clint Capella, go ahead and turn him into Clint Capella. But you're going to have to find a multitude of other ways in order to get Anthony Davis going, right? And so what the, the tricky part of incorporating a such a dynamic player like Russell Westbrook, who is dynamic in very specific ways and does not have as much versatility as LeBron and AD, which is an idea that we've touched on a fair amount, is that accommodating him is another step in his direction and another step in his direction. And it is not going to be as beneficial to the other stars that he plays with unless it can be. Unless the defense is doing a bad job. I disagree. And so let's talk about AD's post-ups in particular and about getting organization to them. The greatest utility that Russ has in those circumstances is the guy that's diving to the basket. Yes. This is dive and skip basketball on the weak side. Again, the way when AD gets doubled, there are a couple steps in between here. But when AD gets doubled, the end result for the defense is one defender is guarding two on the weak side. And part of the value, hey, we got Mike joining us. What's up, Mike? Mike, how you doing, man? What's happening, fellas? We're, we're deep in the weeds on uh, uh, 80 post-ups right now. You two so. are deep in the weeds? What? I know. It's shocking, right? So the way that that works is it, when AD gets, post, uh, gets doubled in the post, you've got one defender defending two on the weak side. And... Russ diving to the basket right there, and we've seen this a couple times, D, where he's cut to the basket and 80s found him for a layup. You can stop that, of course, but you have to account for it. And it's in a way where if Russ is on the perimeter, if he's behind the three-point line, you don't have to account for him nearly as much. That's kind of the defensive mistake that you're talking about, right? But those post-ups having one dive guy, Russ is perfect for that. And we almost, we rarely do that. And and so So like- So when you say we, again- when you say we, are you saying Frank Vogel tells Russell Westbrook not to cut? No, he doesn't tell him not to cut. But there's like, what is the plan when we post up with AD? Like, I, I rarely see that algorithmic. OK, the double comes from this place. That means this person's supposed to cut. This person's supposed to lift from the corner. Right. It, like it's it's a it looks how much to me. Of, so, how, so sorry. So I have a lot of questions here. Right. Because there's so much that we don't know. Yes. And, and this is getting right into that territory, right? Where like maybe they're drilling it every time they do a walkthrough or every film session that they have. But I've never seen like I, I don't see the evidence of, of like there's just not more much organization on those plays. So this is where comments that Anthony Davis has made, but not in relationship to him, are interesting to me. So the other night it was after a win and A.D. was in a good mood and he's talking the way that ad likes to talk which is basically just talking a lot right when ad is when ad is feeling good he is very much just like oh he is a a shoot the type of person so he was talking about russ and getting russ comfortable and then turn and turnovers right and then he had that moment where he looked at the 
box score after and then he's like and then i say all that and he had like eight turnovers or something and laughs all all around right and then ad's poking a little fun at russ because he did he really did have a good night but he still had eight turnovers it didn't feel like eight but it, it actually was eight or seven or whatever but the interesting part of ad's comments to me were when a lot of this has been figuring out what russ likes when he's on certain spots of the floor in terms of seeing where guys are coming from in terms of cutting and where they're positioned on the floor. And it was it was an interesting insight, I think, into how the Lakers view half-court isolation basketball and comfort mm. level of their stars, mm-hmm. right? And so I bring all this up because I wonder what AD's comfortable with and what he thinks are his reads when he has the ball from a particular spot on the floor and what he likes in terms of the atmosphere around him right now there's atmosphere you can control and there's atmosphere that you cannot control the atmosphere that you cannot control is what the defense is going to do right so the defense is going to double they're coming middle they're coming baseline they're coming same side dig down they're coming from all kinds of different angles and the bulls did all of those things on various possessions and they mixed it up on on ad and he never did really look comfortable but in an ideal world ad does want a certain amount of taking a snapshot and i think this is true of every player they want to take a snapshot of the floor and they want to and then they want to be able to process AD, I feel like the action that goes on around him, I wonder how much this influences his comfort level and whether or not the drilling that you're talking about, if those are things that the team actually works on within the context of whenever X happens, Y happens, or, well, this dude who we're giving the ball to likes this. And so we want the reads to be these reads based off of what his comfort level is. And that's why I was saying, I'm not sure. This is where I'm getting into areas where I wish I had more access and the ability to sort of even have off the record conversations with some of these guys to get a better sense of what they're actually trying to accomplish with some of this stuff. That's the thing is, and with AD in particular, his post-ups in particular, like in year three, I'm still not sure exactly what we're trying to accomplish most of the time off of the ball. So Mike, you've joined us uh, in a, I'm, I'm frustrated about the offense. We're 23rd in offensive rating. You know, Bulls took it to us last night. You were there. What's your takeaway from last night's game? Well, first of all, I, I joked yesterday in the text thread that it's it's going to be it's been nice getting a little Kenny and Chuck, uh, but hearing the two of you because I've been on the last pod, so I've been I've been enjoying just listening. And in the past, when I would listen, I would text you guys kind of notes, but instead, I've just been I've just been sort of taking it in. And I, it's so it sounds so dumb for me to return to the same point, but there's one thing I know that'll help the offense uh, on this trip, and and that would sure. be LeBron, um, sort of returning, and. I, I think that, so Frank's comment that I noticed and I asked him about it, that was the first thing I asked him after the game was, okay, so AD is getting these quick double teams. And I just thought that this, the double teams that were coming from the bulls were a little bit different from the ones that he's used to seeing because he was basically being guarded by a small, uh, from the start. He had, he had a small in front of him. And so he couldn't even put the ball on the floor. And usually when teams have doubled him in the past, at least one of those guys is sort of a, you know, like a somebody that can sort of guard him, 
a Draymond Green or like somebody like that, a bigger uh, forward type. type. Yeah, yeah. And so when so when he had like that swarming level of, uh, I, I do think that there's an element of it where. Thank you. All right. Well, that was a that was a pretty good plan for the Bulls, and they were really helped by not having Vucevic um, on the court. I thought in that like for that one game, it's a little bit like the Rockets a couple of years ago. It's not sustainable, but you can definitely beat teams with that in regular season uh, when when they don't really know what to see. So, I that was the one that was one thing. But I my larger takeaway was just probably something Darius has mentioned. It was that the legs, and it's this accumulation of the stupid injuries that have been the reason that the Lakers are where they're at. Uh, they're eight and seven and the numbers one, two, and three reasons are injuries. And it's not just to LeBron, it's to all of their depth. And so Carmelo Anthony having to play like, why do you think he went four from 20 from three over the last four games? Yeah. Cause he couldn't jump. You know, why yeah. do you think his defense his legs are cooked w- right now. went yeah. away yeah. So be, and they're, and they're cooked because he's too old to be playing the minute load that he's been playing, which is due to the injury. So that, and then you take that one cog out of it. And all of a sudden that player can't help as much. So it, it's just been a cumulative factor um, on top of the lack of cohesion that we already knew was going to be a problem. And then you just, you strip it away every other game by having guys coming in and out. So it's a, uh, it's been a mess with the injuries and all of that stuff. And the eight and seven is certainly not great with that schedule, but it also, you know, could be a little bit worse, I guess. And, and that's, that's sort of my little mini summary of where we're at right now. Sure. Yeah. The, the the schedule, I'm grateful for the schedule and that it's, you know, allowed us to be eight and seven, where if we played like this in any other portion of the schedule, we could very easily be five and 10. Um, so there's, you know, good fortune to that. Tom- tomorrow, I think we're going to preview the uh, the road trip coming up. But let's take another break. We'll come back. Want to get into some of the transition offense type stuff. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Pete, you didn't want to get into uh, packing for a five-game road trip, which... um which I'm somewhat rudely doing now uh, during the podcast is the, the airplane is, is coming quite quick. I'm quite irritated with the team right now. So <laughs> what is, let, let us go in this direction. We can talk more. What is it like to pa- pack for a, a five game road trip? Darius, do you really want to hear this answer? Or, uh, I, I was, cause I was, I was joking. Look, I'm wondering how many, how many pocket squares does Wayne Ellington's jumper need for <laughs> you know, a five game dude trip. you know what i you know what i thought like uh, there was a moment in the broadcast when things were getting bleak when they were down 20 
And I was literally, I was like, if I bring Darius up here, cause I was going to bring up the Wayne Ellington, uh, kind of like elbow <laughs> patch thing. I was like, should I name check him for the pod or should I say for like forum blue and golds, Darius Soriano. And then I was going to, I was going to text you and I was like, you know what? We'll let's do the pod. Out. Yes. Let's, and then, well, and then yeah, bring, they up, bring up his about, name yeah. when we're down 20 and everyone's pissed off. Right. Yeah. Then they asked me something about soccer refereeing. Um, here's, here's a pocket square collection. I'm sure yeah, they asked me something about soccer refereeing. And I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't know how much people are in the mood to hear about my, well, my days it, as a soccer. It was a nice break. I thought for a minute, but then I'm like, all right, let's, let's get off this. Let's well, get off. It was this. funny it was because fun. Stu brought it up because <clears throat> Russ drove, he got a foul call, but he was very upset that the ref who had the better angle wasn't the one who blew the whistle, right? And so he turned around yes. and he yelled at the sideline ref, like, that's, and he, I read his lips and he was basically like, that's your call. And then the ref pointed at his homie, like, you got your call, basically. And Russ <laughs> this basically happens all told the time, him, by the way. Like, LeBron I don't always give, does this. I don't give an F basically, was the sentiment that was being expressed. You, you had that angle. That's your call to make. And, and so right when yeah. that happened, Billy Mack and Stu were watching the whole thing unfold, just how we were with the TV angle. And, and that's what it was. That's what it was asked. How, like, how, much would, how much money would you need? to be a referee and that's when that conversation came came up and then and then it pivoted to your soccer refereeing days and then your ig got a shout out mike th this was the level in which the game was oh, i didn't was even hear the I, I didn't even hear the ig shout out because i was no, like that's how Billy it came up something? about soccer because they were talking about oh, you that's right. holding Cause, back cause I posted, yes that's yes right. about you I posted holding the thing back. With yeah. so yeah. so anyways I mean, I would take the money, um, whatever the refs are getting now, and do the job. I just don't want to go up through the whole, like, the, the, the ranks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I yes. don't want to have to referee um, high school basketball and then college Amen. basketball for 20 Yo, years. Yo, high school refs are wild. I was, I had a game once where the one of the refs and the opposing team's coach had a handshake. Like, you know how you have a hand, like LeBron has handshakes with people. Like we played with each other. We know each other. Like the type where like you had to rehearse it a few times. They did the handshake before the game. I was like, oh, we're not getting any calls tonight. And <laughs> it's going to be not. a long night. It's going to be yeah, a long man, night. Hey, lower level refs. It's funny. Like you think NBA refs are bad. Lord have mercy. Anyway. Pete's so frustrated. Uh, so here's the thing. I do not disagree with your sentiment from from earlier, Pete, that there is a certain level of disorganization with the Lakers offense. It's been this way, frankly, under Frank Vogel. Like he prioritizes defense over over offense. If you were to ask me, would I think that that would still be the case in year three? I would probably answer sort of. Mm -hmm. Right. The the interesting thing is, and this is one of those times where I'm going to say it again, this is probably a whole other pod. But there is a literally changing of the guard a little bit. We're going with, through a metamorphosis with, right now. And it's ugly. what's going in, on. Yeah, in ways where like we're going from like one style to another and we're not getting the good of either of them. That's right. Well, that's the thing is that the Lakers have been used to playing with two bigs for a very long, long time. 
Last year, Anthony Davis played 9% of his minutes at power forward. Or, or, or I'm at sorry, center. at well, at center. So basically, 90% of his minutes were with a second big on the floor. In his first regular season with, with the Lakers, he played 60% of his minutes at power forward, right? And so this idea of floor balance and configuration and how you want things to look, it's going to be drastically different when Anthony Davis is playing 90% of his minutes at center, which is what it's been since DeAndre went to to the bench. There is literally, Mike, a two or a three-minute shift maybe each game where AD is on the floor with Dwight. Right. And so and if A.D. is playing 35 minutes and three of those minutes are with another big, big man, think of the departure that that is for the team in terms of style of play, in terms of where you actually even put players on the floor. They've been going to they've been going to horn sets and there's literally four guards on the court. And it's sort of just like, well, these are the sets that we run. And it's just like these can work. These can work with these sets of players, but these players aren't you. You're not you. If you're Avery Bradley or any you're of these other on the dudes, elbow in a horn ha, set. How yeah. often have you ever <laughs> even been at the elbow? Right. When was the last time you were high school? Right. Eighth grade. Right. And so this yeah. idea of how do you even shift the shift away from this? And this is why, honestly, LeBron is so important for this. He is the organizing factor for this team. If you were to say Russell Westbrook is going to be our main organizer, you're going to be like, oh, that's bad. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Russ is not Marie Kondo. He's not going to organize your life for you. Right. So he is a little bit more like, oh, I'm going to be a freelance player and a and and someone who plays in chaos and can thrive in chaos. But LeBron needs did you, to be the did guy. You just, did you just name check an organizer? I did. <laughs> I am cultured, Mike. Bro, no, I, I, I was trying to name check you on the broadcast, couldn't get it in. Um, and you're okay. Pete just messaged in the thread a cleaning specialist. I respect that, and I love to clean. By the way, uh, yeah, her and Riggs would get along very well. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah another yes. shout out for Riggs. Appreciate that. I here's why I'm not mad. Okay, uh, and I hate sometimes I hate coming on it like if Pete's mad because I don't want to then be like, oh I have to counter this, but I'm I'm genuinely not, but. I, when you think about the NBA, there are some teams that are system teams and I've spent time on this podcast ripping Utah for once you get to the postseason, all of a sudden the system doesn't work. And then what are you going to do? You know, golden state is a system. What started as a system team, then KD came and it didn't, they could have run any damn thing and won the title. Wouldn't matter. They could have won the title, but it worked out great last year. The system broke because they didn't have enough talent for it and they didn't have the right personnel for it. They had Kelly Oubre Jr. They had Bazemore. They had a couple of the guys that just weren't quite making the right kind of reads that Steve Kerr wanted. They had Wiseman come in and the system got wrecked. This year, the system is working again because they have enough guys that can kind of buy into it. And that's great. Uh, But they also have the high-end talent. So now you think about the Lakers. Were they a system team when they won the title? No. The, The system was defense competing their ass off and then LeBron and or AD breaking down the defense, which is really more like playoff basketball. And 
We don't want, yes. I, we don't need to go all through NBA history and start to bring up the triangle, but the triangle was a great system for kind of like the regular season. But then what happened guys, once you got into the postseason, you know, and, and when they really need to get a bucket, like with, with Kobe and Shaq, how much, how much of the system were they uh, uh, let, here? Let me set the triangle aside. I'm already distracted getting out the point here. The point is why are we expecting them to have some sort of a system and know exactly how to play with AD and four smalls. And because they can barely even teach defense right now with all of the new players and all of the injuries. And and they can barely even figure out who's going to be on the court at what position. So that's why I'm not going into a game expecting that they're going to figure out this essentially junk defense that Chicago's throwing at them uh, for, for a game while they're hitting a million threes. Every single three that goes up is going in and it's all feel good. Like, so that's why I'm not mad. I kind of expected that it would at least go something like this until they got some of the personnel back. But may- maybe I'm being too generous. So my frustration is all, is like Chicago revealed some of it. But it, again, we're 23, 23rd in offensive rating on the season. It's not just a, a this game thing. And I'm not advocating but for Pete, system where would basketball. Be, if LeBron were healthy, where would they be in offensive rating? I mean, we were a little bit better. Games. We we were like 19th when we talked about it earlier, and LeBron had just missed yeah, his first game or two. Like, right? That's like, like three games, though. You know, <laughs> against Golden State and Phoenix system teams, like new guys. Like, what? Why are the expectations so, so high with Russell Westbrook coming in? I my my expectations are higher than 23rd on on offense in offensive rating. Like with the with the players that we've had available, we should be better on offense than we have been. And I'm not advocating for a system in the way that Utah or Golden State runs it, but there are all sorts of scenarios within isolation and my guy is better than the guy across like that's basically the style of ball we play. We've got LeBron and AD and we try to leverage their superiority of which Russ is a part of that now. He's not on that same level, but he's got aspects of his game that can be hard, hard to handle as well. So like a post up for Anthony Davis, that's absolutely our style of, of playoff basketball, right? I'm not saying, Oh, run this stagger into this action and that action. I understand the point that that doesn't really hold up over the course of, uh, of, of the playoffs. But when AD has the ball in the post and a side of it is uh, a whole side is cleared out, all four other players should know if the defense does this, then I do that. And even if doing that means just staying in their spot. And so it's more we talk about X's and O's. I want to get away from that type of terminology. For me, D, it's about mastering scenarios and we don't do a whole lot of different things. And some of them are very simple, just clear out a side for great player. Sure. When we do, we should be good or in the in process of getting good at making all of the reactions off of whatever the defense can do on that. I also don't think we should be posting up as much as, as we are and should be mastering spread pick and rolls and, you know, kind of a spacing the floor type of thing. But I don't think what I'm asking for or advocating for is outside of what we're capable of. I don't think so either. I also think, though, too, that some of this is still like interesting personnel and going back to individual decision making of any given specific player. I hate to bring it back to Alex Caruso, but I'm going to use him as a bit of an avatar here for just a player archetype, right? And so forget his name was even Alex Caruso. But that dude always seemed to cut at the right time. He always seemed to basically linger in a, like he would cut through. He would look for seeing what his man did. Mm-hmm. Oh, his man stayed. Well, guess what? You stayed. I'm not going to clear all of the way. 
I'm going to linger in this specific spot so that so then when you turn your head back to look to where I am, you're like, oh, he sees me. Right. And then now I'm playing a bit of a cat and mouse game. Monk has kind of done that with Westbrook. Like he scored off of similar types of what you're describing there. Yes. But but those have happened much more in like transition or early offense stuff. Right. He mm-hmm. had that one really good cut against a zone that was in overtime, I think, against, against Miami, yeah. ag- like against Miami. Right. And that was a great look. But there is not a lot of this guy is used to doing this specific thing. Avery Bradley's probably the only dude who really understands the right cutting principles within what the Lakers are doing within the half court court offense. And when you look at player skills, and their and the archetype of which of type of player that they actually are, I mean Ellington's a he's a spacer. If you're asking him to cut it all, you're probably no. misusing him. He's the guy that should be lifting from the corner after Russ cuts, right? And that yes. that gravity sucks him in. You got Ellington open for a three. And so part of the thing that I'm very interested in is all of the stuff that we ask: Is Russell Westbrook going to do some of this stuff during the season? And can he sort of rewire his brain to do some of this stuff more? Those are the things where it's hit or it's still hit or miss. And it's hit or miss with a lot of these guys, to tell you the truth. And so some of the some of this is process versus results. We've had poor results, but I think you would argue, Pete, we've also had some poor process. Yes. Right? Yeah. And I think you would be happier if the process was good even if the results still weren't great, because then at least we could say, well, the process is good. And yeah, there, like there's some part of it, again, the injuries, the legs, yes, the, yes. And, and even if all of that was ideal, we would still be going through the adjustment period that you're talking about in which certain things don't work. We talk about putting a puzzle piece together, uh, a puzzle together. How often do you grab a piece and you think it fits in that spot, but it doesn't, right? And you may do that for four pieces before you get to that fifth one, and then they finally lock together. Yeah, and they did that, Mike, with Kent Baseborn. Kent Bazemore was one of those puzzle pieces. They tried to put him in with the starting group, and then they figured out this isn't working. And so now they're shuffling again, and they're searching again. And one of the ideas that I've been kicking around in my own head is like, remember that one season where it was sort of a joke? It might have been Mike D'Antoni's first season like the season that he took took over, but almost every five or six games, it it was like the running joke was like the season starts now. Yeah, yeah. Right? And there's a little bit of not, I don't want to go that far, but the seat, like the Lakers have reinvented. They are, a, they are played two new starters from what they had when the season started. They are transitioning into a new style. They are behind now, whatever thought we might have had about, well, this is the group that's going to play once they get healthy, the style that they've been playing, none of that's true right now. And all the continuity stuff that Mike has talked about, all of that stuff is what it is at this point. And they're behind. And so, yeah. like, honestly, when LeBron gets back, I feel like the season starts now, but the season been started. And so mm-hmm. the fact that they even have... Eight wins at this point, like, that's fine to me. I honestly thought they probably shouldn't have won a single one of these last five games. Every single game going in, I thought it's more than possible that they lose this game, and I almost expect them to. 
in those five games, they went three and two. So I don't know. I'm a bit disappointed based off of process. I'm perfectly content based off of the results. And that's the inverse of where I want to be. I want to be happy with process and maybe like, okay, the results will come. Yeah. The, and so the three and two with all that stuff, I'll take. Okay. The three and two is fine. The, the ones that are still, that still gnaw at you are the Oklahoma City losses. And even though the, the, not to get into that whole thing, like Oklahoma City is playing better right now, they're actually five and eight now. Um, so they can beat some other teams. But if you just don't kind of piss away those games, then you're 10 and five without LeBron um, having barely played at all. All of the stuff about the offense, I hear that. I'm I'm sort of still in that mode where I think the coaches are good enough where they, if it were that easy, they would do it. And that there are a lot of other fires that they're trying to put out um, and, and trying to get in. So I, LeBron's going to be back soon. And then we can kind of get back to some evaluating what the team should look like, which I, I just think it's hard to do with early season rust um, and new guys that are, that are banged up. But um, yeah, it's, I I'm, I'm looking forward to this trip though, too, because it's also the first time that they've been on a long trip and that can be good for a team uh, early that's trying to find itself. So we'll see if that actually plays out. I, I think this upcoming road trip is really significant to the Lakers season and it can go a couple of different ways. And so tomorrow we'll come back and we'll preview it. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.